is one of those Sundays where the message comes early, and so we're going to get right into our message time. We are currently in a series through the Gospel of John. This is our 30th message in that series, and we are all the way up to chapter 14. So if you have your Bible, you want to take that out and turn to John chapter 14. We're going to be towards the end of the chapter in just a few moments. We're calling today's message, Unveiling the Promise, Unveiling the Promise. On Tuesday, May 10th of 19, or excuse me, 2022, so just about a year ago, a little over a year ago, a passenger with no flight experience called air traffic control in Port Pierce, Florida airport to say, I've got a serious situation here. The pilot has gone incoherent and I have no idea how to fly this airplane. Well, around noon, an air traffic controller by the name of Robert Morgan was outside the tower reading a book on his break when his coworker yelled, there's a passenger flying a plane that's not a pilot. And the pilot is incapacitated. They said, you need to get up here and try to help them land the plane. Well, Morgan was the man for the job. In addition to his 20 years as an air traffic controller, he is also a flight instructor and has more than 1,200 hours under his belt. And so he got on the radio and began talking to that worried passenger of that plane circling above. Morgan told the reporters, I knew the plane was flying. I just knew I had to keep him calm point him to the runway, and tell him how to reduce power so that he could descend to land. Then Morgan proceeded to walk the first-time pilot step-by-step through the landing procedure for the Cessna Grand Caravan plane. Finally, when the plane landed, Mr. Morgan even ran out onto the tarmac and he joyfully embraced the flight student that was there in the plane. Later, Mr. Morgan said, it felt really good to help somebody. And he told me that he couldn't wait to get home and hug his pregnant wife. So, you know, when when there's a disaster or a crisis in your life, isn't it good to have a wise mentor or a guide to walk you through the situation? And you know, friends, as Christians, the Holy Spirit is our flight controller. He can guide us through the worst that this life can throw at us. Now in our last several messages from the uh, preceding chapters of John, we have seen Jesus having a, a final meal with his disciples, commonly known as the Last Supper. During that meal, we've seen that he shares important teachings as he prepares his disciples for his imminent departure. And he informs them about his impending betrayal by Judas Iscariot and also his forthcoming crucifixion. And so now we come to his final words in that upper room, John 14, verses 25 through 31 are where we're going to be today. And I'd like to invite you to read the first part of that section together with me. The words here are here on the screen. So let's read this passage together from John 14. These are the words of Jesus. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, 
neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. Amen. The word of God, the words of our Lord. And so in this passage, Jesus speaks to his disciples. He's assuring them that he's not going to leave them alone, empty-handed, right? He is going to send the Holy Spirit. Now, as recorded by John, Jesus uses a, a specific word here to refer to the Holy Spirit, often translated in English as helper or advocate or counselor. The word in the original language is parakletos, and it means someone who is called to come alongside someone else. Now, in the ancient first century culture that Jesus lived in, a paraclete was like a family attorney. The term parakletos appears four times in John's gospel, every time in reference to the Holy Spirit. And then John uses it one more time in his letter, 1 John, in reference to Jesus himself being called the parakletos. John is the only writer in the New Testament who records this particular word as a reference to the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to jump to a different language for just a minute. The Kare language of equatorial Africa. And it seems that for missionaries that had moved there, it was proving to be a, a difficult language for the translators of the New Testament. Especially when they came to some different Bible words, including this one we're looking at this morning, parakaletos. How could they describe to these people in their own language the Holy Spirit? Well, one day the translators came across, uh, saw a group of porters going off into the bush. They were carrying bundles on their heads. And they noticed that in, in the line of the porters, there was always one person who didn't carry anything. Well, they assumed that it was the boss there to, to make sure that everybody else did their work. However, later they discovered that that person was not the boss. That person had a very special job. They were there in case anyone would fall over with exhaustion from carrying their load. That person would come and pick up that other person's load and carry it for them. And so the porter was known in the, in the Kare language as the one who falls down beside us. And so the translators found their word for parakaletos, the helper, the Holy Spirit. You see, friends, that's what the Holy Spirit is for you and I if we are followers of Jesus. At the moment we fall, right at the moment when we need him the most, when we don't even know what to say, he'll come beside us and fill us, empower us, guide us. The Holy Spirit is the interpreter of God to us and the one who brings God's peace into our life. Jesus' parting words of the coming Spirit let us know that he will be with us to lead, to guide, to help throughout our life. And so the disciples then should be rejoicing at the coming of the blessing, not sorrowful, at the present loss that they're contemplating of Jesus. So, 
for our remaining time this morning, I want to consider three truths about what the Holy Spirit provides for faithful followers of the Lord. And the first thing that I want to notice from this text is that the Holy Spirit provides for us teaching. He provides teaching. Jesus knew that he should be the one to disclose the teachings on the work of the Spirit. So what Jesus did and said in the days of his earthly ministry was only partially understood. Though the, the disciples didn't always understand all of his teachings, Jesus knew that it needed to be him who would reveal those things to them. And so three things were needed for the apostles to fully understand Jesus' person and his words and his mission. First, he had to die for them. Second, he had to rise again to vindicate his claim and demonstrate his victory. And then third, the Spirit had to come and interpret the meanings of Jesus' words and deeds over those three years. Jesus emphasizes the teaching and prompting role of the Spirit in verse 26 when he says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. You see, Jesus promised the disciples that the Holy Spirit would teach them and help them remember all of the stuff that he'd shared with them over those three years. The Spirit worked in their minds, reminding them of his teachings. Oh yeah, remember when Jesus said that? Oh, that's what Jesus was talking about in that parable. Giving them insight into the meaning as those early Christian leaders learned more and more to trust the Spirit in their life. Well, you know, right now it's tomato season here in the Willamette Valley. I bet a lot of you have some tomatoes planted in your yards. I know that we do. And you know, vine-ripened tomatoes really are the best, aren't they? They just taste so much better than the ones from the store. You know, in nature, red skin signals that the tomato is ripe. But that's not necessarily true of tomatoes that have been forced to turn red. It is entirely possible and very likely that when we visit our local grocery store that we are purchasing and consuming unripe tomatoes. Did you know that? And there's little way of knowing until we take the first bite. That's why the ones from your backyard always taste so much better. Now, to be fair, part of the reason that the growers use a gas called ethylene to force tomatoes to turn red early is because that's what the market demands. As consumers, we want to walk into our local grocery store at any time of the day, any day of the week, even in the middle of winter, and be able to pick up a red tomato and take it home. Well, friends, in much the same way, we want the certainty of knowing that the answers to life's questions are always within reach. Wouldn't that be great if we knew that? Well, guess what? As God's people, we can know that. And I'll give you a hint. The answer is not Google. We don't go to Google to figure out life's answers. As followers of Jesus, humility teaches us that we are to wait for God 
to answer these questions. When we trust his spirit to teach us, it's like letting our spiritual knowledge ripen on the vine. And it always tastes so much better. Now the emphasis in the first part of Jesus' words in this text is on this teaching and remembering role or function of the Holy Spirit. During the earthly ministry of Jesus, understanding for those 12 guys was just tough at times. But now Jesus promises that the Spirit, the Helper, will recall the things that he has done and said and fix them in their minds and help them understand them. By the way, the Holy Spirit helped the disciples remember without taking away their unique individual perspectives. And a great illustration of that is the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These early followers of Jesus were able to record some of them the very same events from different angles, from different perspectives, with different ideas. How can they do that? Because the Holy Spirit was bringing to their mind the teaching and the remembrance, but then they were able to communicate it in unique and targeted ways. Isn't that cool how God's word works in that way? And so we can be confident when we read the gospels that they are accurate records of what Jesus taught and did because of the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of these early Christian writers. Even though they're recorded by just average guys like John. Friends, the Holy Spirit can help us in the same way. The Holy Spirit and the Word, God's Spirit and His Word work together to give us the correct meanings for what Jesus did in history, the correct applications on, as to what we should believe and do today. And so as we study the Bible, we can trust his spirit to implant the truth in our heart and mind. We can trust the spirit to convince us of God's will. We can trust the spirit to remind or convict us when we stray from God's word. The famous Scottish preacher Alexander McLaren said this, he who has the Holy Spirit in his heart and the scripture in his hands has all that he needs. I wonder if you believe that for your life. If you've got God's spirit and you've got his word, you have everything you need pertaining to life and godliness in your lifetime. What a blessing that is. The Holy Spirit provides teaching. And number two, not only does he provide teaching, but the Holy Spirit provides peace. He provides peace. In verse 27, it tells us of Jesus' gift of peace. Peace I leave with you, Jesus said. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You know, in New Testament times, the normal way to say goodbye was shalom. It's a Hebrew word, shalom. And in his death, Jesus provided a legacy for his disciples. He says, my peace I give to you, my shalom I give to you. They would have peace with God 
because their sins were forgiven and they would have the peace of God to guard their lives. Jesus' shalom, his peace, brings an end to the brokenness and the separation caused by sin. You know, nothing else in this world can offer us such a gift. No book, no teacher, no course, no philosophy, no, no, no anything can replace and offer the gift of peace that only God's Spirit can bring into your life. You know, the world offers all kinds of false peace, and that false peace comes from blinding us to our real peril. Oh, everything's fine. Peace, peace, they say. Everything is good. No, that's not true. Everything is not good, and therefore, we're in peril, and we need Jesus to bring us true peace. The other false thing that that the world's peace does is it kind of props us up in our own pride. Oh, I'm good. It's all right. How you doing today? Oh, all's good. Everything going okay with you? Oh, yeah, everything's fine. We lie to each other all the time, don't we? And we're not living in peace. And and we're taught in our culture to not be weak because we don't want to share our weaknesses. And so we don't talk about our need for peace, the peace that only God can offer the gift that only he can bring. And the world's peace is unable, it's unable to give this shalom kind of peace that allows us to face the stark realities of life with calm assurance. Even the fear of death and uncertainty for the future, those are removed from the life of the believer when we trust in Jesus. When we follow him, we will live in the peace that the Spirit provides. Not the peace that we create or chase after or find, but the peace that only God's Spirit provides. That's why Jesus says, don't let or allow your heart to be troubled. You see, a lot of our trouble is we let it in. We allow it. Or we even cause it. The ultimate outcome of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is a deep and lasting peace. And that's very different than the lack of conflict that the world would call peace. It's something deeper and far more lasting. It's a peace in the heart and in the mind which banishes anxiety and fear. Jesus's peace is confident assurance and calm in any and all circumstances. With Christ's peace, we don't need to fear the present or the future. And so if you find yourself living in fear, something is wrong. If you're a follower of Jesus, if his Holy Spirit is with you, you should not be living in a constant state of fear or anxiety. And so if our life is full of stress, stress from family and the world and the job and the economy and on it goes, we need only to allow the Holy Spirit to fill us, to remind us of Christ's peace that is available to his children. You know, so many of our troubles occur because we just fail to take counsel from the Holy Spirit or from his word. Instead of first praying and seeking guidance, what do we do? We act, we decide, we do, and then we ask God to bless the actions we've already taken. Do you see the backwardsness of that? 
we must learn that the effective Christian will live in a totally dependent way upon God's Holy Spirit and his leadership in our lives. We must have a willingness to be directed and controlled by him, not by him. You see, when I do things my way, I call that the Frank Sinatra philosophy, right? I did it my way and I'm proud of it. That is not God's way. When vital decisions must be made, the Holy Spirit can not only open the scriptures to us, not only illuminate our minds, but he can provide for us the calm assurance that we are indeed making the right choices when we follow God's path. You know, sometime back, I uh, saw a real estate advertisement. Sue and I were on a trip up in Washington. And uh, I, I always remember this because it was sort of like a, a billboard and it, it said, leave the frustrations of the city behind. All right, and it's uh, from a real estate firm. And then it said underneath, nestled, beneath, uh, nestled beside the sea, the freeway close by, this charming planned community is the answer to your dreams. You'll never be lonely again perfect security. You'll be watched over day and night by our competent, faithful guard service. Restful nights are guaranteed. Wow, what a deal. I found myself wondering though, how that realtor planned to guarantee those restful nights to people who were suffering with asthma, to parents with colicky infants, to spouses whose husband or wife were straying or drinking or rebelling, to people with guilt-ridden consciences, to people whose insides are dying of loneliness little by little over time. How could a planned community guarantee a restful night? And the answer is it can't. That realtor can't deliver the goods. Not for any amount of money. And that's because restfulness is not a place it's not a location. It's not a new house and a new community. It's not a new spouse. It's not a new job or whatever else you might plug in. It is a relationship with the Lord God Almighty and with his Holy Spirit living in us, an intimate relationship with our creator and our Lord who said, my peace I give to you. That is the gift of God's Holy Spirit. He teaches us. He provides peace. And then finally, number three, the Holy Spirit provides clarity. Clarity. Jesus prophesied his departure and the coming of the Spirit to encourage his disciples' faith, to give them clarity, a clear view of the, of the future. Uh, let me read from verse 29 through the end of our section here. Jesus said, And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Those are the last words that Jesus spoke in the upper room. 
You know, fulfilled prophecy is a great comfort and support to believers. That's a great study for you sometime, to just go back through the Old Testament and, and look at all the prophecies that pointed ahead and the way in which they were fulfilled over and over and over again. And then when we get to the prophecies about the Messiah, about Jesus, and how they were fulfilled exactly as they were written 600, 1,000 more years than that, ahead, looking ahead to these things. It, fulfilled prophecy brings comfort and support Now, Jesus had predicted his death and his resurrection multiple times up to this point. We've seen it as we've worked our way through John. When when Jesus' suffering and death came to pass, it would shake the disciples' faith to its foundations. They would be scared. They would be worried. They would be panicked. And yet, after their initial shock, because of Jesus' preparation for these events, it would greatly help their faith. They didn't really understand it yet, but the time was coming when it would be a solid support for their faith. They came to trust their master, their rabbi, their Lord all the more as they saw his words verified, as the Spirit brought remembrance of Jesus' words, those little light bulb moments. Oh yeah, remember when Jesus said that, guys? That's now. Can't you just imagine those, those times as the disciples remembered things, as the Holy Spirit brought to the remembrance Jesus' words, and then peace, peace just flooded into their life. Even in the midst of confusion and uncertainty, would they be arrested? Would they be put to death? What was going to happen to them? There's a lot of fear, a lot of confusion, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of anxiety. And yet, when it really clicked, when the Holy Spirit came, There was peace, a calm assurance in the midst of the storm as they remembered Jesus' words, as the peace flooded into their life and the Spirit gave them clarity. It's kind of like a a fuzzy picture that just slowly comes into focus. Or if you've ever walked into a, a dark room and then boom, all of a sudden the lights went on. Wow, all of a sudden you have a clear view of The whole plan. That is clarity. And by the way, that plan of God, it even included the work of Satan. In verse 30, John records Jesus as saying, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. But he has no claim on me. And the reason for for Jesus ceasing his teaching is the coming of Satan. Jesus' teaching time was now winding down. It was becoming limited because Satan, the prince of this world, was moving his forces against Jesus through Judas. But you know what? Jesus didn't fear Satan, did he? Because Satan had absolutely no hold or claim on him. And why is that? Because Jesus was perfectly obedient to the Father. Now, disobedience is sin, isn't it? And sin, we know from Scripture, leads to death. And sin and death give Satan a hold over people. But since Jesus is sinless, Satan cannot claim him for his kingdom of darkness. Satan thought Jesus' death was a great victory for him, but actually, it was Jesus' victory moment over Satan. 
Jesus' vindication and the discrediting of the ruler of this world before all of the spiritual entities of the universe is about to be accomplished at the cross and at the empty grave. And friends, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, if we are followers of Jesus, when we have clarity of understanding about these key matters through the Holy Spirit, then we too are at a great advantage. Do you understand that? That because Jesus died for you and paid the price for your sin, that God sees you as sinless. And that means that Satan has no grip over you, no authority over you, no power over you. If we love Jesus and obey his word, Satan has no power over us, just as he had no power over the Lord. If we walk in the Spirit, then we can live in Christ's victory. We can participate in his victory over Satan as well. In verse 31, Jesus said that his obedience to the Father was motivated by his love for the Father. Because Jesus loves the Father, he did exactly what the Father commanded. He kept to the plan. And Jesus' obedience was so perfect that later Paul writes about it and he says that Jesus was obedient even unto death. Jesus was going to be obedient to the Father's purposes, the Father's plan, no matter what it cost him personally. At the end of the chapter, Jesus says to the disciples, rise, let us go from here. Jesus has been with the disciples in the upper room, and now he's prepared to go next to the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. And as they journey across Jerusalem together, I just picture them walking through the streets of Jerusalem, out through the Kidron Valley to their final de destination at the garden. I just picture Jesus continuing to teach the disciples these last minute instructions and comforting thoughts and important truths. John records all of that conversation in verses 15 through 17, which we're going to be examining in coming weeks. But right now, I want you to think about sailboats for a moment. All right? I don't know if you've ever been on a sailboat, but when you're sailing, are, are the sails, when they're filled, being filled with the wind, is that an experience or is that a habit? And the answer is, it's both. Catching the wind on a sailboat is clearly an experience. I, I've been on sailboats numerous times and it's actually quite an exhilarating experience as the wind fills the sails and you kind of hear them snap taut and all of a sudden that heavy craft is seized and carried forward by a mighty power that's unseen. It's, it's quite a, an exhilarating experience. But you know what else? Sailing is also a habit. If you don't put the sails up, if you don't put, uh, put the, pull the, the main sheet fast or adjust the jib, you're not going to go anywhere, even if the wind is blowing powerfully. You see, sailing in that sense is the art of attentive responsiveness to an outside force. 
You rely entirely on the external power of the wind to get you anywhere. Now, real sailors never imagine themselves to be powering the boat by their own strength. They don't go out on a sailboat and envision, oh, I'm going to be paddling this thing. No. They don't even... They don't even like to use the motors. Real sailors, they don't like to use the motor because that's not true sailing at all. You see, sailors must respond attentively to whatever the wind is doing, which only comes through cultivating awareness and skill and good habits. Now stick with me here as we're talking about sailboats because one of the words in Scripture for the Holy Spirit is the word pneuma. Pneuma. We get our English word, you know, pneumatics, pneumonia. The word pneuma translated to English is breath or wind. You see, friends, being filled with the Spirit, God's breath, or wind is like sailing on a sailboat. It necessarily involves both experience and habit. We, ex- we, we pursue the, the experience of the Holy Spirit as we learn to rely on his immeasurable power rather than on our own strength to get us anywhere. But we must also develop good spiritual habits when we respond attentively to what he is doing and through us, how he's working, a clarity comes. And that comes through the habits of awareness and skill and practice of doing things God's way. The work of the Holy Spirit, the parakaletos, the helper, the pneuma, the wind of God, All of that is to bring into our hearts the ongoing life and presence of Jesus. And without his wind, without his help, we are nothing. We're like the hamster stuck on the wheel, just spinning and spinning and spinning. But when the Spirit comes into our life, suddenly we're free in a powerful way but we're free to do his will. So, is the Spirit teaching you the word? Is he recalling to your mind as you walk through life the truths of Jesus? Are you experiencing his deep abiding peace? You know how it is when you're kind of stressed out and then somebody says, oh, take a breath. You just take that breath. <sighs> and it's just kind of cleansing, isn't it? Kind of relaxing. I want you to think about that as God's spirit in your life. That's how God wants you to live your life, not just for a moment when you take a physical breath, but he wants that feeling, that experience, and that habit to be a part of your everyday, every moment life as you walk according to his way. And so are you experiencing that deep abiding peace? Even in distressing situations? Do you have a a clarity of mind and purpose for your life in this world? Or are you still trying to figure things out? Are you still scrolling on your phone through, through Google trying to figure out the answers to life when the answers to life are right here? 
But even beyond this, they're right here and they're right here with God's Holy Spirit. When we walk fully with the Lord. And so friends, don't miss out on this great gift of God's Spirit-led life. This unveiled promise that comes to each one who would choose to make Jesus their Lord, their Master, their Ruler for life. When we do things His way instead of our way, the promise is unveiled. Let's pray together.